Thanks for tuning into the Central Church Podcast. We exist to introduce people to Jesus and help them follow Him. To learn more about Central, access tons of content, and find the location nearest you, download our Central Church app. But for now, we hope you enjoy this message, and we're so glad you could join us today. Awesome. Thank you, Drew. Good to be with you guys. Thanks for being here with us this morning. You ever felt like you need a miracle? How many, how many of you had a moment where you just think, man, I, I need a miracle? Sometimes this, it can be small miracles. Sometimes it might be mir- big miracles. You know, I, you, you ever been late for work and you can't be late again, but you keep hitting every red light along the way and it just all of a sudden you start realizing, man, if things don't start lining up, you're going to be late again. And then you're like, God, please, if you just help me get through all the lights and get to work on time, I'll be forever grateful. I need a miracle. Or uh, I remember I was driving down the freeway, I looked down and my gas gauge is completely like below E and I don't know how long it's been below E and I don't know where the next gas station is, right? You're like, God, please just get me there on fumes, whatever, just help me get to the next exit to get gas. Or I can remember being in school and some call somebody, they laid those tests down on, on, on my desk and, and I'm looking at that test and I don't care what the government does, prayer will always exist in school as long as tests exist in school, right? They lay that test down and you're like, oh God. Some of you are like, God, I don't even know if I believe in you, but if, if you're there, help a brother out on this test. Cause if I don't do well on this test, it's going to get even more ugly. Of course, I had a professor in college in a religion class when I was studying to go into ministry and, and, uh, he, he would pass his tests out and then he would pray for us before we took the test. And this was always his prayer. He would say, Lord, please bless each student according to his or her level of preparation. (laughs) Which I remember just sitting there. I'm like, wait, what? No, that's a, no, that's an awful prayer. God block that prayer. Help us out. Sometimes we need sort of small miracles in our lives. Sometimes we need bigger miracles in our lives. I talked to my brother and prayed with him a lot this last year. He's, um, you know, been on the brink of death, really, uh, facing all kinds of health problems, eventually got on the liver transplant list. And uh, it got so bad that they came in at the hospital and they told him, you're never going to leave the hospital. They said, either you're going to get a transplant. And then they kind of left the rest because we all know what that means. And I remember just praying, we need a miracle. And thankfully, he was at the last minute able to get a transplant. So we're very grateful for that. But you know, I'm well aware that some, some people don't who have the same faith and pray to the same God. It's complex when you start talking about miracles. I talked to another friend of mine, uh, two young kids. Just found out this last week that he has stage four cancer. And, you know, we need a miracle. I have another friend, his adult daughter, told me this week, he doesn't think she's going to live more than a year. And I've just been carrying that heavy on my heart all week, praying for him. We need a miracle. I, I don't know what you need in your life, where you may need a miracle, but I know most of us could probably use one in some area of our life. Maybe it's a health concern for you or for a family member. Uh, maybe some of you, you know, the miracle is that you could just walk in sobriety and, uh, and not always be tempted to fall back into whatever you wrestle with. Or maybe a family member or a loved one or a son or a daughter could walk in sobriety. Maybe for some of you, the miracle is just to be able to sleep through the night and go 
through a day without facing physical pain. Maybe for others, it's a financial miracle. You got more month than money and you're just praying, God, somehow I need you to show up. I need you to help me financially be able to close the gap. Uh, maybe for some of you, it's a miracle of forgiveness that you need in your life. You're estranged from an ex or a family member or a friend and it's just eating you up with bitterness and heartache. And in the end, what you really need is a miracle of God touching your heart with forgiveness towards those individuals or touching their heart with forgiveness towards you. I, I don't know what kind of miracle you need, but I think we can all relate to needing a miracle. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look to the Bible for some inspiration and some insight into how we can experience our own miracle in our lives and what that kind of faith looks like. Now, I fully believe that God is the God of miracles. You look all through the Bible, you see all kinds of miracles, that God can still do miracles today, that he can heal, that he can intervene, that he's alive and well, that he's a work in our hearts and in our lives. You look through Jesus' ministry in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biographies of Jesus, and you'll see that Jesus does about 34 miracles, if you uh, kind of lay them all out, depending on how you count them, but about 34. And then there's another 15 different times that the Gospels give sort of summary passages that Jesus healed people and, and did things like that. But you get to the end of the Gospel of John, it says, if every thing that Jesus did was recorded, it would you know, fill whole books. So it's not an exhaustive list. The biographies of Jesus are not trying to tell us every miracle that he did, right? It's a selective list. And when you get to John, the Gospel of John, uh, particularly, there are seven miracles recorded in the Gospel of John. And they're all, they're all kind of signified as signs, as we'll see today. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look through the Gospel of John and look at each of those seven miracles and um, the signs, what they signify and what they mean. Some scholars and commentators say you can actually outline the Gospel of John by using the seven miracles that are recorded along the way. So we're going to dive into the first one today. Now, if you think about Jesus' first miracle, um, some of you may think it would be a miracle of healing where he restored sight to somebody or healed somebody who was sick or ill. Or maybe you think, you know, it was a miracle of provision where he provided somebody uh, for somebody who was hungry or whatever. But Jesus' first miracle is actually signified by what's behind this little mystery box here. <laughs> Bottle of wine. Um, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine at a wedding celebration to keep the party going. It's true, you can't make this stuff up. The Bible's way better than fiction, I'm telling you. Now, we're gonna look at the significance of this because there's a lot of significance, but this was like Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine. So let's kind of dive into it. John chapter two, beginning in verse three. We'll bring this up on the screens. The way we do this here at Central, I'll, I'll read the scripture out loud from the screens for us. You can kind of follow along. When we get to the red word, the highlighted word, I'll just ask you to read that out loud, real loud with me. It's how we make sure everybody's awake. So check this out. Uh, Jesus is with his family, his mom, his disciples. They're at a wedding in Cana in Galilee and they run out of wine at this wedding celebration. It says the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. And then look at this. Mary doesn't even like respond to that. She just says, but his mother told the servants, do help me, whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Now, this has been noted as the only time Mary issues a command in the Bible. 
and the command is do whatever Jesus tells you, which when you think about it, that's very different than the command we often give, which would be do whatever your mom tells you. Right, you know, my kids come to me, can I do this? I'm like, hey, what, what, what'd your mom say, right? Because we all know who the real boss is when it comes to this stuff. Like, what'd your mom say? Don't, why are you trying to drag me into this? Basically, they didn't get the answer they wanted from mom, and now they're gonna try to work dad, who just always says, yes, just don't bother me, we're all good. Right, so, so I'm like, what'd your mom say? Go, go ask your mom, but I guess when <laughs> your son is Jesus, it kind of changes the game, right? And, so she says, go just do whatever he tells you. She had raised him for 30 years. She had seen his compassion, his goodness, his care. She knew he would do the right thing. It was a big deal in that culture to run out of wine at a wedding celebration. Wouldn't be like if you had your friends over for a pizza party and you're watching the Knights play and you run out of pizza. Okay, no big deal. But in the ancient world, Man, a wine was a whole community kind of celebration. These things would go on for days. And, um, you know, they wouldn't do these parties regularly. It may only happen a few times in a whole life cycle of a family, right, that they would have these kind of big celebrations. Cost a lot. A lot was involved. And if you ran out of wine at a wedding celebration, it would actually bring shame on your family. And it would be something that would not be forgotten in the community. So it was a big deal. Mary's sensitive to it. She's like, oh, man, they're, they're running out of wine. She's like, Jesus? <laughs> and you can tell he, he acts like he doesn't really want to be brought into it. Like, hey, my time has not come. And then she just says, do whatever he says. So the first principle when it comes to needing a miracle in our lives is simply this, to trust in the goodness of God. Just like Mary trusted in the goodness of Jesus that he would do the right thing, we've got to trust in the goodness of God. Sometimes life is messy. Sometimes things don't appear good. Robert Fulgram has this story about a wedding that he officiated and the bride was coming down the aisle and she uh, had been ponding in the back area with her father before you know, she walked down the aisle and she'd been snacking on all the food that was back there, cheese balls and crackers and little shrimp and you know, wash it all down with some champagne and all of that help her nerves. But he, you know, he said when, you, when, when the bride was walking down the aisle, he said what you noticed was not her dress, which was white. He said you noticed her face, which was totally white because he said what was coming down the aisle was a living grenade with the pin pulled out. And then he says this, he says, the bride threw up just as she walked by her mother. And by threw up, I don't mean a polite little ladylike erp into her handkerchief. <laughs> she puked. There's just no nice word for it. I mean, she hosed the front of the chancel, hitting two bridesmaids, the groom, a ring bearer, and me. She puked on the pastor. And so he says, you know, after this sort of horrific moment that's the worst case scenario, she dreamed about this moment her whole life, right? And she's walking down the aisle and she hurls on everybody. So they go to a side room for a much more subdued ceremony after everybody gets sort of all cleaned up. It's bad, it's nasty, it's messy. And that's how life can feel like sometimes, right? That's why we feel like we need miracles. Sometimes life is a mess. Sometimes your team starts out three and oh and then loses three games in a row. It just could theoretically happen. Sometimes life feels like that. Things are going well and then they're not going well. That'd be the Cowboys, by the way, in case you're wondering. Got to redeem ourselves tonight against the Eagles. Just throwing that out there. 49ers are looking good, though. Um, so sometimes life gets messy. But he said, Fulgram says, 10 years later, that family all came back together, and they had a reunion. 
to commemorate the wedding of the puking. And they gathered at the same place and they showed video that they had captured from three different angles of the whole thing. And the family that was so mortified all sat around together and they laughed and they celebrated. Why? Because in the end, what really mattered was not that moment. What really mattered was that the bride got the groom and the groom got the bride, right? That's what they gathered to celebrate 10 years later. Now I'll tell you that story because if you look at the Bible, one of the major ways God communicates about his relationship with his people is that of a bride and a groom. He's the groom, we're the bride. The church community, the faith community is called the bride of Christ. There's a whole metaphor that's woven through the Old Testament into the New Testament of a, a wedding as a picture of our relationship with God. The kingdom of God is often signified as a banquet, a wedding banquet. And so what's happening in Jesus' first miracle is pretty layered to the Jewish mind when they would have read this. It's like, it's a picture that Jesus is the Messiah, the prophesied one who was to come and be the savior of the world. It's a picture that the wedding party, the kingdom of God has now begun. It's a picture that God's grace is gonna flow freely through his goodness in Jesus Christ. And we gotta hang on to that in our lives. I mean, check this out. John chapter two, beginning in verse six, tells us what happens next. <laughs> Mary basically says, hey, do whatever he tells you. And then uh, here's what we see. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. So these, these jars were huge. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants, what? Followed his instructions. So Jesus does something kind of strange. He tells them to get water. This would have been about 180 gallons of water. So the servants don't know, right? They're like getting all the water, just do whatever he tells you. Okay, we're getting the water. Then they're supposed to dip the water out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And for all they know, this is a big practical joke. There's no indication in the text that the miracle has happened yet. It's like, hey, here's, here's uh, some water. Now the master of ceremonies was supposed to be like the wine taster for the event. He'd like check the wine, make sure it's all good, but good before it gets served out to the people. And so the, I want you to don't miss this. The miracle of water turning into wine, which it eventually does, we don't know when it happened. But somewhere between Jesus giving the instructions and this person following what Jesus said and it, the, water, the water getting to the master of ceremonies, the miracle happened. In other words, the miracle happened along the way. I think a lot of miracles that happen in our lives are miracles that happen along the way. Now, I believe God can do what I would call like, like action miracles. In the moment, in a split second, you know, he can change things, he can reverse situations. If he's God, then that's certainly in his power and ability to do. And I believe he can and he still does. Heal, work, do things that are unexplainable, move in our lives. I'm convinced, having read and studied and talked to thousands of people over the years, if I was to just pass a mic around this room, most of you have a miracle story in your life. Even if you can't really explain it, even if you don't speak about it much out loud because it doesn't make sense, you know, you're afraid people look at you like you're nuts. Many of us have had experiences where deep down we believe this, something happened in a moment. And I can't deny it, even if I can't explain it. But many of the miracles God does in our lives are not those kind of decisive action miracles. 
Many of the miracles are what I might call slow motion miracles. You're not sure where it actually happens along the process but it happens along the way. Some of you are here today, right now, and you are praying for your relationship, your dating or marriage relationship to get better. You're praying for it to be healthier. You're just praying for you to stop fighting so much. You're praying for you to get along. <laughs> I hope you're not sitting next to the person you're clapping beside right now. Yeah! They're like, oh my gosh, really? And I wanna encourage you today, hey, sometimes you just gotta keep being faithful. You gotta keep following Jesus' instructions. Keep doing what God's told you to do. One thing I'll tell you is you cannot change another person. You can only lovingly influence them. You can focus on your part of the relationship. I'm gonna choose to be kind. I'm gonna choose to be loving. I'm gonna choose to forgive. I'm gonna choose to walk in faith. And somewhere along the way, you may find the miracle actually happens. It may not be that you walk out of church today feeling all oozy oozy, woo, we're in, we're in love, right? But it may be over time, just by being faithful, three years from now, you're sitting on the back patio one day having a cup of coffee together and you look across the way and you think of all the wars you've seen together, all you've been through, all you've journeyed through, and you say, you know what? We're still in love. We made it. We're still together. That's when you know the miracle happened along the way, along the way. Some of you right now, you're praying that God will do a financial miracle in your life, and I hope he does. I hope he will for you in your life, but until you win the lottery or whatever that financial miracle may be, look, if you'll be a lot better off if you'll just do what God already says in his word, if you'll be wise about how you spend, if you'll get on a spending plan, if you'll try to manage what you have, you may find over time the miracle happens along the way. Look, God can bring you purpose along the way. God can bring you hope along the way. God can bring you sobriety along the way. God can fill you with his spirit and use you to make an impact on other people along the way. God can turn the hearts of fathers to their sons and sons to their fathers along the way. God can bring forgiveness in the midst of a family along the way. You just do what Jesus said to do and be faithful even if you don't see the miracle. Some of you have been praying for a miracle and all you see is a mess, right? That's okay. Just keep walking in faith. Just keep trusting God. Don't give up, don't you quit, don't you check out. Listen, maybe the greatest miracle that God wants to do is the, is the miracle God wants to do in you rather than the miracle that you're praying he'll do for you. <laughs> maybe the thing that you're praying God will do is not even the miracle you really need, right? And certainly the greatest miracle is that we can know the God behind miracles, right? God is the greatest miracle and he's invited us into that relationship. Trust that he's good, even when things aren't good. Trust that he's good, even when things are messy. Trust that he's good, even when you don't have answers to certain situations. Let me tell you, as a pastor for over 25 years, I've walked with thousands of families through some of the darkest situations in their lives. I do not have answers for a whole lot of things that happen. I don't know why God doesn't intervene. I don't know why he doesn't bring a miracle. Here's what I've learned over the years. I've watched people with more faith than me pray and be faithful and cry out to God and not get the miracle they prayed for. But I've also, and so I think it's very disingenuous to put pressure on people. Like you don't have enough faith, therefore you haven't received your miracle. If you just had more faith, you'd receive the miracle. I'm like, that's a pretty simplistic approach when you really look around at the tremendous faith some people have under tremendous suffering. But here's what I can also tell you, having walked with so many of those families, 
They may not have gotten the miracle they prayed for, but God did even greater miracles in their life. They would tell you he changed them from the inside out. They would tell you his peace supported them in ways you can't understand. It's easy to look from the outside at somebody else's suffering and get filled with doubt and frustration. What's interesting is when you step into their suffering with them and listen to their stories, their suffering actually in those moments often fills them with faith and peace that they can't describe. Sometimes the miracle is what God does in us, not what we're praying that God will do for us. So trust that he's good, even though it's messy. Here's another thought, and that is to just expect God's best. Expect God's best. I saw these kids, uh, they wrote some notes to God. I thought some of them were pretty funny. Check this out, this is Darla. We'll bring her note up. She says to God, did you really mean do unto others as they do unto you? Because if you did, then I'm gonna fix my brother. (laughs) She might be taking that a little too literally there, uh, Darla, I'm not sure. All right, here's another one, this is Nan. Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. (laughs) How many of you relate to Nan right now? You know what I'm saying? Like, just bring it right down, keep it real, right? Just, I can't, I'm having a hard time just loving the people around me. But God is always bigger than us, and God is always surprising us with his grace. John chapter two, these servants bring the water to the master of ceremonies and he tastes it and he's shocked because it's not only wine, it's the good stuff. And here's what he says, John chapter two, beginning in verse 10. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. (laughs) Some of you just got a party tip from the ancient world. Right, you bring the good stuff out first after everybody's had a few drinks, you're like, yeah, get that cheap convenience store, bottom shelf, $2 stuff, bring that out now. Nobody will know the difference. He says, you've kept the best until now. And it says, this miraculous sign, and that's what we're gonna see seven different times through the Gospel of John, this sign was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples, what, believed in him. It was a sign. See, a lot of us, we're holding out for a miracle, but the greatest miracle is the relationship with the God behind the miracle. And miracles are simply signs along the way pointing us to a life of faith in Jesus Christ. And so this was a sign, and the point was that his disciples would believe, that they would be pointed to faith in God, and that's what happens in this moment. Now, another thing that's amazing is when Jesus does this miracle, um, it's not like, you know, I always kind of read this story, just sort of read over it, and it kind of felt like, oh yeah, you know, Jesus like brought out like a case of wine. Hey, we're not gonna run out, everybody. Here's a case. Look, if you converted this at the most conservative number possible to bottles of wine, this would be the equivalent of about 600 bottles of wine. Booyah. I mean, this was like more wine than they needed which I think is an amazing picture of God's goodness and grace. Look, Jesus comes in and he rescues this family from shame, the shame that would have fallen on them had they run out of wine. And he doesn't give them what they need, he gives them a million times more than they need. He's generous and he blesses them. And it's the same thing he wants to do in our lives today. The good news of Jesus, the good news of the gospel is that we come to God in faith and we find forgiveness and hope. Listen, he covers our shame. 
And does he, he not only covers our shame, he gives us more than we need, more than we deserve. Forgiveness, the hope of eternal life, God's spirit working within us. We belong to a family. We're headed towards eternity. God has moved and worked in our lives. It's the miracle of his grace. And some people would say that this miracle at the wedding in Cana is actually the miracle of grace. The grace of God being offered to the world through Jesus Christ. The inauguration of what was to come. The party that continues on because of what Jesus has done in our lives. Listen, when you look at the story, Jesus is doing a conversion here. He converts water into wine, and he's still converting things today. Jesus converts not only water to wine, he converts sinners to saints, right? He converts those who are broken to those who are beautiful in Christ. He takes those who are hopeless and fills them with hope. He takes those who are lost in misery and gives them meaning and purpose in their lives. He's still moving, he's still converting, right? He takes what was lost and makes it found he takes what was written off and makes it purposeful and powerful. That's what he does. He converts. He changes lives. The greatest miracle of all is a changed life. And a changed life that reaches out to God and knows him and trusts him. And that's the miracle we can experience today and the miracle we can pass along. One of my favorite stories is an old story Pastor Tony Campola tells of a time when uh, he was in, in a Honolulu uh, on a speaking engagement and there was a time difference and like three in the morning he can't sleep so he goes down to this kind of little diner hole in the wall and he's sitting there ordering food and all of a sudden all these girls walk in and he sort of puts together that these girls are prostitutes. They kind of meet up at this diner at the end of the night and they're sort of ordering breakfast and different food items and, and they're talking over him at the bar area, you know, and he's just kind of listening. And one of them... Uh, named Agnes, says to somebody else sitting beside her, she goes, you know, tomorrow's my birthday. I, I turned 39 years old. And this lady says, why are you telling me that? What do you care? Would you want me to get you a cake or something? She says, no, I don't want you to do anything. She said, I've never had a birthday party in my life. I've never had a cake in my entire life. Just wanted you to know. And so Campola gets an idea and goes over to the guy behind the, the diner, the bar there. His name's Harry, the owner of the diner. He says, hey, Harry, I'm... These girls come in every night? He goes, yeah, they, they come in every night. And he goes, uh, what, about, what about this one, Agnes? He goes, yeah, Agnes comes in every night. He goes, hey, tomorrow is her 39th birthday. She's never had a birthday party before. Let's throw a birthday party for Agnes. And so they get a plan. He says, I'll put the word out on the street. I'll pack the place out. He says, we'll get a cake and all that. He says, you, you get the decorations. You get it all set up, right? And we'll be ready. So next night, three in the morning, they got all these people off the street, packed into this diner. They got all the decorations set up. Agnes walks in with her friends and they all yell, happy birthday. And, and she's just sort of blown away. He says her knees kind of buckle. She's, she's weeping, right? But when they try to bring the cake out, she's been really moved and blown away. And they want to cut the cake. But she tells him, she says, no, 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 don't cut it. She says, you know, I just live about a block away. Can, can I just take it home? She wanted her mom to see it. Can I just take it home? And then I'll come back and we can celebrate together. And so they all said yes. And Agnes walks out of the, uh, of the little diner and everybody's sort of standing there, not sure what to do now because, you know, the person they were there for just left. And so they all look to... Tony Campola, and he, he said he didn't really know what to do either. He looks at everybody and he says, well, let's pray. And so a bunch of people off the street, prostitutes and others, bowed their heads and 
Tony Campola led them in this prayer. When he said amen, Harry leans over. He's like, hey, man, uh, what's that about? He says, well, I'm a pastor. Harry says, hey, you, you didn't tell me you were a pastor. He goes, well, you never asked. He says, what kind of church do you pastor anyway? Coppola said it was one of those moments that all the right words come to you at just the right time. He looked at Harry. He says, well, I pastor one of those churches that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3 o'clock in the morning. And Harry says, you do not pastor a church like that, because if there was a church like that, I would go to that church. <laughs> I love that story. I thought of it because, you know, this is Jesus keeping the party going, introducing himself as the Savior of the world. And that story reminds us that God's grace is something that erases our past, that frees us from our sin, that takes care of our rebellion and our rebellious hearts. I'm not saying God doesn't care what we do. He absolutely does. That's why Jesus came and lived and died and rose again in our place. I'm saying no matter what we've done, we can be forgiven and free. So that puts us in a position where we don't have to judge people. We don't have to look down on people. All we need to do is offer them the hope and the love that Jesus has offered us. It's his grace that's changed his lives. And it's not just grace for when you first come to him. Listen, you need grace every single day of your life. Grace just means the undeserved favor and forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. We need it every day. It's the fuel that drives everything in our lives. And so friends, I don't know where you're at in your life. If you need a miracle, Keep crying out to the God of miracles. Realize the miracle may be happening along the way. And don't miss this, that the greatest miracle may be the miracle God wants to do in you more than the miracle that you're praying he'll do for you. Keep expecting the best. Maybe you're here today and you feel like your past has disqualified you. Your actions, your choices have sort of separated you from God's goodness and his love for you in your life. And I want to remind you, Jesus came to keep the party going. And you are invited to that party. You're invited to that celebration. And it is a celebration of the goodness and the mercy of God. And the Bible says one day we get to heaven. The image that's used is a great wedding banquet. A great, the, the party continues. And I believe in heaven a lot of things will make sense that don't make sense now. A lot of things we'll be able to see that we can't see now. But the most important thing is we'll be there with God himself. And the Bible says this is the promise of heaven. Not just that you live forever, not just that there's no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. The real promise of heaven is this. God himself will be there and will walk with his people. That's the real promise. You can experience him now. The party can start now in your heart, in your life. The wedding celebration, if you will, can begin in your heart and life through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you come to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you. You confess your sins, he'll forgive you and work in your life. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, we've all sinned. But the good news is if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead. It says in Romans, we will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from God. Saved from uh, sin. Saved from the destructive stuff that's going on in our life. We'll be led into freedom and joy and purpose as we follow him. So I'd love to give some of you that opportunity to really experience the greatest miracle, which is the God behind the miracles. 
So would all of you please bow your heads and close your eyes, and if you'd like to take that step of faith, you can begin that journey by repeating a simple prayer after me, either out loud or uh, in your own heart and in your mind. Just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you in Christ's name. And friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if it's your prayer, if it's your commitment today, I want to ask you to just slip your hand in the air. Just make eye contact with me just to say before God, to say to me, you're going to follow him in your life today. God bless you guys. Just slip your hand in the air. Thank you. Thank you, guys. God, I thank you for your love. I just thank you for each person reaching out to you. I pray you'll fill them with your goodness, your peace, your joy. Do an awesome work in their life. We give you praise for them in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's give it up for those who made spiritual commitments in their life today. If you made a spiritual commitment, we'd love to put a resource in your hands. So after our experience is over, come right down front to the left or right side under each of these screens to our New Beginnings area. We'd love to give you a New Beginnings journal. If there's any way we can pray for you or help you, if you'd like to be baptized, that can all happen there. Just come on down after our experience. Well, I'm going to ask you to remain seated for two seconds. Pastor Nick's got a quick announcement.